Happy New Year. It's hard to believe that 2016 is over. Seems like it just started last January. You know, I mean, it's just, it seems like it's just started not long ago, and now it's already over. A lot of people were ready for it to be over. You know, I saw uh, one thing floating around the Internet this week. There was a little uh, cartoon, and it said, I'm going to stay up on New Year's Eve just to watch 2016 die. A lot of people were ready for 2016 to be over. Kind of a tumultuous year. And uh, here towards the end of the year, it's uh, been kind of crazy things happening in the world. But I'd venture to say that as we look back over 2016, a lot of good things happened. As I just look around the church here and, and uh, you know, made the announcement earlier that we're going to have a, a baby shower for a baby that was born this year. That's not the only baby that was born around here this year, was it? been a blessed year around here. As we think about the things that have happened, some of you may have seen great accomplishments in your personal lives, maybe in your careers. You know, several times this last year there was water in the baptistry. That always makes for a good year, doesn't it? To see that happen over and over again. 2016 was a good year. But maybe there were some, uh, for a lot of times, some, maybe some, for a lot of folks, maybe some more unhappy times. It was certainly a, uh, an ugly year in America, an election cycle that just seemed to, uh, seemed like it couldn't have gotten any uglier. That's over. I'm glad that's over. And I hope we're, as, as Dwayne prayed earlier, praying for our leadership that will come in this next year. Some of you may have experienced some troublesome times personally, I don't know exactly what 2016 meant for you, but I know exactly how God intends us to see it. Over in Lamentations chapter 3, it says, The Lord's mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His faithfulness never ends, and it doesn't matter how we may have messed up last year spiritually, or it doesn't matter how our year went, says his mercies, his forgiveness, and his grace are new every single morning, and that means they were new this morning, and that means they're new for the new year. His mercies are new every morning. The Apostle Paul talks about this renewal in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that's what I want us to look at this morning, a few things in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about this renewal. These new mercies that are not not just new when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, but every single day we wake up, we find ourselves basking in the new mercies of God. Before we get to our main text, I want to set it up. Our main text will start on down in chapter 5, but I want to set it up by starting in chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, 
knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, what Paul says as we're setting up our text here, and I said we'll get to our main text here in just a moment, he, we, we start off this morning by reminding ourselves, as Paul reminded us, that guess what? Our bodies are temporary. Just like the troubles we may have experienced last year in 2016, guess what? Temporary. Our bodies are temporary. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says, it's appointed unto man once to die. You know, i never forget the first time I told the teenagers on a Wednesday night, I said, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, but you're going to die. i never forget the looks on some of their faces. Like, do what? You know? I mean, so many times we think we're just completely invincible. But the Bible tells us there's one thing we're guaranteed is going to happen. We're going to die. As Americans, we have two things, death and taxes, right? One's promised by the Bible, the other's promised by the Congress. I'd rather rely on the Bible's word than Congress. But anyway, we'll get back to this. It's appointed unto man once to die, our bodies will be destroyed. But for those of us who know Jesus, Paul goes on to say there's something that's a lot better. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so Paul reminds us God is preparing a building for us. Therefore, we make it our aim and our purpose to live a life that's pleasing to him. Now, we're setting up, getting towards our renewal that we talked about here in just a minute. But the kicker behind all of this leading up to our main text is really in verse 10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What we need to remember this morning is we're all going to be held accountable. We're all going to be held accountable. And for Christians, it won't be a judgment of condemnation, but we'll be held accountable for the things we did or the things we didn't do in this body as Christians. So we ought to live a life that's pleasing to him. You know, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about we'll be held accountable. We live a life pleasing to God. I got to thinking about, you know, our driving habits. If you're driving down the highway and somebody pops their headlights at you, what do you do? You slow down. Because what are they telling you? There's a nice guy in a white car sitting right over the other side of the hill, isn't there? Let me tell you, I love the good folks of the Arkansas State Police. But I prefer not to talk to them on a day-to-day basis, you know? And so when I'm driving down the road, I'm not saying that I speed. I'm saying when I'm driving down the road, I make sure if somebody pops their headlights at me, I slow down. If I'm driving 55, I'm going to slow down to 50, right? Because I know somebody's watching. And I know... That person's job is to hold me accountable. Well, guess what? What Paul reminds us there in verse 10 is that, guess what? Somebody's watching. God's watching our every move every day and what's going to happen. 
He's going to hold us accountable. So knowing that, what do we do? Knowing that God is holding us accountable for our actions. You know, 2016 is behind us. All we can do as far as 2016 is concerned is ask forgiveness if we need to and move on. Moving into 2017, somebody's watching us. And knowing that somebody's watching us and knowing that our bodies are temporary and that one day we will stand face to face before God himself and he's going to hold us accountable, how do we live in 2017? Well, let's look in chapter 5 beginning in verse 11. And we'll point a few things out this morning. In verse 11, Paul says, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. For we do not, con- we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray together this morning. Most gracious God, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to receive the word that you have for us. And I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts this morning, causing us to leave here changed, causing us to leave here uh, desiring to, to be on fire for you and to live a life It's well-pleasing to you in 2017. In Jesus' name, amen. So given the knowledge that we have concerning the renewed mercies of God, His mercies are new every morning. It gives us that new opportunity every day. And given the knowledge that we have that one day we're going to stand before Him and be held accountable for the things we did or didn't do, How should we live and how should we focus in 2017? A few things to point out from this passage of Scripture. The first thing that I think we ought to consider is our personal reputation. You say, whoa, wait a minute. What does that have to do with the mercies of God? What does that have to do with what's going on here? Well, we see that here. If not directly, we see it here indirectly. Look at what he's saying 
in verse 11. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now this word terror may scare you for just a minute. But we're not talking about a scary kind of terror. Your translation, depending upon what translation of the, of the Bible you have there, may say the fear of the Lord. That's a more common terminology that we use a lot in church. We talk about the fear of the Lord. And we know that's not meant to say we're to be scared of God. But we're to have a proper view of God. We're to remember who we are in relation to who He is. That He is the Creator and we are the created And the created doesn't get to tell the creator how things are going to happen. And so when we live our lives in a proper perspective of who God is, we're living with the fear of the Lord. And so Paul says that proper view includes what we saw in verse 10. Because remember, this wasn't originally broken up into verses or chapters. When the original readers were reading this, had they been reading it in English and they weren't, They would have read it, and it would have said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. See, the proper perspective of God is remembering that he will hold us accountable and that he is seeing everything we do each and every day. And so now here's where our reputation is comes into play. Knowing the fear of the Lord, living our lives in a way pleasing to Him, we persuade men. This word persuade here, according to the the books I read, the commentaries, because, you know, I don't do other languages, but the Greek word used here that's translated persuade could have a gospel connotation. We're persuading you with the gospel. But that's not the original context of what's being said here by the Apostle Paul. This word persuade, he's trying to persuade them about his own integrity. You see, before we can ever reach someone with the gospel of Christ, they first have to believe that we're a person of integrity. I can't walk up to somebody on the street and start talking to them about Jesus and actually have them listen to me unless they believe believe that I am a person of integrity. That's why it's so important that we guard what we do. That's why it's so important that we guard what we put on Facebook and on other social media. We guard the places we go. We guard about the people we're seen with. Because then you go out and you start talking to somebody about Jesus, and they say, why are you telling me about Jesus? And you do this, this, and this. And you go to this place, this place, and this place. You see, our reputations, we call it our witness in church language, is so important because we never turn it off. We never turn it off. We are constantly persuading people to either follow Jesus or run away from Jesus. And Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. The Corinthian church was troubled. There was a lot of infighting. They were dealing with false teachers. And in Paul's letters, one of the things he's trying to deal with is the fact that they have false teachers teaching them things that are, that are not true according to the gospel. And they even started being suspicious of Paul and his teaching because of the false teachers that were coming in. You know, society's doing that to the church. 
Society is pushing out messages upon people saying, you know what, there's nothing wrong with this lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with this action. There's nothing wrong with doing this or that. And the problem, the biggest problem is not that it's being told, but the biggest problem is that it's being believed. The, lives are, the lies are being believed. And so if our lives are no different than the lives of the people telling the lies, how will we ever get our message through that Jesus Christ is the only way? Here's what we can take away from this. The salvation of the lost around us can and will be affected by the way we live our lives. Look at verse 11 again. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and also trust are well known and your conscience. God already knew the sincerity and the integrity of Paul. But it was Paul's prayer that the Corinthians would see that as well. Every day we need to get up and we need to pray, similar to what Paul's saying here. Hey God, you know my heart. You know that I am sincere and wanting to live a life that's pleasing to you. And as I seek to live this life, I pray that my sincerity would be seen by those around me. In fact, I think the last time I preached, I said, fake, fake people are easy to spot. We don't need to be fake and holier than thou. We need to be sincere with integrity. And as we move into the new year, we need to guard our reputations and we need to live a life that's devoted to the work of the kingdom so that the world will see that we are persons of integrity and they'll believe the gospel message that we have to present. And what is that message? Well, that's the next thing we need to remember. In verse 14, he says, The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. In 2017, we need to focus maybe more than ever on the love of Christ. We need to focus on the love of Christ. Why? Because as we focus on the love of Christ, what does it do? It keeps us from being compelled to say things we shouldn't say. When we focus on the love of Christ, it compels us not to, not to do the things we shouldn't do. It's the thing that keeps us on track in living the life we're called to live. What is the love of Christ? Well, if we were to look over in Romans chapter 5, Paul put it this way. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. Paul says the love of Christ compels us. Well, if we're going to be compelled by something, we better know what it is. And when you stop and you realize that the love of Christ is that Jesus Christ left heaven's throne and came to earth to take on flesh so that he could die a, a death that no one would ever want to die, a Roman crucifixion. It ought to compel us to live a life for him. When we think about the fact, John 3.16 sums it up the best for me. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say that he sent his favorite son. It doesn't say that he sent his best dressed son. It doesn't say he sent his most popular son. It doesn't say he sent his best looking son or his smartest son. It says he sent all he had. God sent all heaven had. When God himself took on human flesh to die a sinner's death so that you don't have to go to hell and so that I don't have to go to hell if only we accept that free gift of salvation. And Paul says that love ought to compel us to live for Christ. That word compel may be translated as control in your Bible. But here's what it means. Compel is pressure that causes action. To be compelled is to take pressure and cause action. You ever take a a water bottle or a Coke bottle and you screw the top on it and you sit there and you just kind of twist it and it builds up pressure and eventually what happens? That lid shoots off the end, doesn't it? There are other ways to do it that are fun. Diet Coke and Mentos. Boy, that'll put something under pressure and compel something to action, won't it? I don't know if you've ever shot off Diet Coke rockets with Mentos. I don't know if I'm giving teenagers ideas I shouldn't from the pulpit. Make sure you use Diet Coke. It's not sticky. But here's the thing. When we think about the love of Jesus, we think about the love of Christ that Paul is talking about here in verse 14. I don't know if you've ever watched a rocket shoot off and the energy that it takes as that rocket takes off. That's the same type of energy and the same type of enthusiasm. Our enthusiasm for Christ ought to be just like that. We ought to be moved and compelled by the love of Christ knowing that heaven's all died for us so we don't have to go to hell. It ought to cause us to want to live in a way that points others to Jesus so they too can know his love. I want to mention one more thing this morning that we see here in this passage of Scripture. It's that renewal that I started off talking about. We don't just have a new year. We have a brand new you. And verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Did you hear that? He says, if anyone is in Christ. He didn't say if a certain type of person was in Christ. He didn't say if a man was in Christ or if a woman was in Christ. He didn't say if a person of this ethnicity or from that country or a person from this background. He said if anyone is in Christ. You know what that eliminates? That eliminates all other qualifications. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what's happened in your life in the past. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I love that. I love that. You know, I love to watch the shows on TV where they go and they get an old house and they gut it and they have this beautiful renovated home when it's all said and done. 
But I love the fact that when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, He didn't just give me a gut job and put in some new drywall in my spirit and, you know, patch the holes and say, hey, this will last for another 50 years or so. No, Paul says we're a new creation. Brand new. That means, he says, the old passed away. The old doesn't even exist anymore. We're a brand new being. And what a great thought to have as we start a brand new year. That whatever hang-ups or whatever was going on in your life yesterday, guess what? Doesn't have to continue in this new year. That's what I love about beginnings and, and a fresh new year. I think it's great that it's on Sunday, so we can talk about this on New Year's Day. But Paul says, all things become new. I once encountered a person. I'll say I'll say I encountered a Christian because the person I know was a church member, not here. This was somewhere else. And this person had an anger issue. I'm talking. I mean, would blow up on you. Had an anger issue and. The Bible says that we ought to hold each other accountable. Christians ought to call each other out. And I had the opportunity to do so. And the person said, well, that's just who I am. That's just in my family genes. You ever say that? I mean, my mom's uh, maiden name was Dunn. And I'm really very close to my mom's family. And that's a lot of times when you say, oh, that's just a Dunn trait. You know, I mean... Don't blame me. Blame my done genes, you know? No, I had to tell this person who also used that excuse, no, that's not who you are. Not if you're a Christian. No, that's not in your family genes. Because when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, those character traits were supposed to go away. And if we're living a life that's pleasing to Him, guess what? As we draw closer to him, what did Jesus say? He says, if, you, if you're in me, you'll bear much fruit. And then over in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and oh, get this, self-control. Blowing up with tempers, that's not a trait of a Christian. The more we grow in our relationship with Jesus the more these character traits come out. I want to encourage you in 2017 to try every day to go closer to Him so that you don't look like that old being anymore because Paul says that's not who you are as a Christian. He says you're a brand new being made to look like the image of Jesus. You know, that's what Christian means, Christ-like. We ought to live every day trying to live more and more like Jesus. We'll never perfect it, not this side of heaven. But we can sure try. How do we do it? We do it by reading His Word. We go grow closer to Him by reading His Word, talking to Him, praying. We talk to Him by praying. He talks to us right here. God's not going to speak audibly to you but he'll speak audibly to you through his word. Paul says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Let's draw closer to Him every day and allow His fruit to be expressed through our lives. And so with all this in mind, we have a job. In 2017, we have a job to do. And it's the job that Paul lined out for the Corinthian church, beginning in verse 18. He says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their, trans- their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Our job is to be an ambassador for Christ. Where? Exactly where He's planted you. In your job, in your school, in this church, in the community where you live, at Walmart, It's hard in Walmart sometimes, but wherever he's planted you and wherever he sends you, our job is to be an ambassador for Christ. He lays out the job description there. The job description is to implore others to be reconciled to God. Jesus put it this way. He said, let your light so shine before men that others see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. In other words, live your life in a way that points people to God. Live your life in such a way that points people to a closer relationship with Him. But you know, we can only do that if we guard our reputation. We can only do that if we focus on the love of Christ. And we can only do that if we remember that we're a brand new being, a brand new creation when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Here's the message as we prepare for an invitational hymn. Here's the message that we are, as we implore others to be reconciled with God, here's what he wants them to know. Verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He wants wants the world to know that he loves them so much that he sent Jesus. And as John 3.17 says, that Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn anybody. He came so that the whole world through him could be saved. You know, I think we've, we've pretty much got our marching orders for 2017. Our marching orders don't include worrying about Russia. They don't include worrying about what might happen between now and January 20th or after. I promise, let me promise you something. God's got all that under control. We don't have to be worrying about any, we should be praying but not worrying. What we ought to be focused on is living a life that points others to Jesus. This morning, maybe you want to ask him again this morning, to give you a renewal. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe this morning you've never accepted the gift of salvation and you want to know more about that. I'd, be, I'd love to share more with you about it. 